I think it's important for everybody to evolve that, to take what works, especially what works for you. I think the problem is that people don't get a full look at what works for them. They get a perception of what they think is the problem or the solution. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Better at Beach Volleyball Podcast. My name is Mark Burrick. Here on this podcast, we talk about everything that has to do with getting better at beach volleyball. And today, specifically, we're going to talk about bad coaches. We're going to put a few uh, coach archetypes on blast, and uh, we're going to talk about how what coaches normally do to ruin practices, ruin players, how a lot of coaches are really wasting time in the gym and on the sand, and uh, good ways and easy ways to fix them. And special guest with us today, better at beach coach and friend, former NCAA Division I coach, Chad Mercado. <sighs> very nice, very nice. Chad, what's going on, man? Living the dream out in California. Hell yeah. You're sitting in uh in my garage gym. Oh, it's it's been treating us nice. Our biceps are, are firing. <laughs> I don't we didn't even do chest and I don't my chest is sore. I'm not I'm not quite sure how that happened, but we did back and buys and here we are. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um so you came out to California. You were coaching a juniors tournament. How did that go? What happened? And uh, just start uh, by introducing yourself a little bit about your history from playing because you're still playing professionally indoor um, and coaching. So let's just give the audience a little little insight into who Chad is. Awesome. Yeah. Um, they call me Chatty Daddy. I'm from Orlando, uh, Florida, out, out on the East Coast. I actually went to school at Lees McRae, a uh, small school up in North Carolina. Graduated from there in 2011 and started playing uh, professionally in Puerto Rico. Won a, I guess it would be a league championship. Um, very first year out of college was really awesome. Uh, got to play with Scott Tuzinski from the um, 2008 National United team, States. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Haven't heard that um, name in a so, while. Yeah. So he, uh, he, he got, got to see his gold medal. That was pretty cool. Uh, but I just remember watching him play and watching uh, that, that whole team, that was Lloyd Ball and all them, and it was it was an honor. It was really cool um, to be brought up during that time. Um, but, yeah, and then after Puerto Rico, I actually moved out here towards uh, Riverside to coach with California Baptist, where I uh, was training uh, with the team there. We finished fifth in the AVC, uh, in, in the poll, um, AVCA poll, men's poll, that year in 2013, and um, trained and, and got a little bit better and went out to Holland. Um, which was always a, a dream of mine to play overseas in Europe and did, let's see, I got the That's such top a, points like, for Holland, the Dutch, Netherlands, you know, there's not too many countries that have that many names, <laughs> <Confusing. Exactly. laughs> but they have, there's such like a, a volleyball powerhouse. It's, it's crazy. They just keep turning out, first of all, great, great beach teams kind of out of nowhere. They are, um, per capita one of the tallest countries in the world, if not the tallest. And uh, their indoor teams are, are so legit. I think especially on the women's side, uh, they have a tremendous indoor women's team. Was there anything different about their coaching culture or their playing culture that you could pick out as you noticed, oh, this is this is probably what makes them great. Because you were working for Gold Medal Squared, which is a company yep. that we both worked for, um, where they develop coaches for indoor. Uh, and that was created by the last 
three decades of Olympic coaches in the U S so you had a lot of experience in the, like the American uh, circuit of coaching. So was there anything different uh, in Holland that you thought they did differently that was good or significantly worse than the U S did? Can't put my finger on anything specifically, but I think, you know, they, their philosophy is the training as well. Um, I, I don't think they believe in rest as much. I'll give you that. It's pretty much, you know, train, 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 train. And, um, there wasn't like these, like we have now kind of like, okay, here's a recovery day with like active stretching and this, it was just kind of play like nonstop. Um, we wouldn't do as many, um, specific technical drills. We would kind of just jump into more gameplay or game scenarios where it's like a triple block out of system. Okay. Here's the toss from out of system. Boom. You're going on a triple block and play it out. Whereas, you know, in the United States, sometimes especially like in the off season, we are going with like, okay, how do I break down a specific skill and spend a lot, you know, an hour or two on that. And, um, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing is it's about more reps, game like reps. Um, and I don't know if that's a Holland thing. I don't know if that's a professional thing. I know from what I've heard from other professionals, that's kind of the the idea behind it. A lot more gameplay and a lot more uh, situational um, volleyball. But but yeah, that was that was the experience over in Holland. Yeah, you kind of hope at some point uh, that as a pro athlete, somebody's getting paid to play, that you should be technically sound. You know, technique can always get better, can always improve. But at that level, when everybody's kind of physically similar, uh, it it probably comes down to more mental and more just automation in terms of, of reps. But I know, for example, like in, in beach, Americans get kind of made fun of uh, because of how much talking we do and how much explaining <laughs> through each thing and that like, you know, uh, our yeah. players really want to just understand things in, I think the Brazilian style of coaching is just non-stop reps. You know, you see any film from a Brazilian practice and you've got literally six coaches on two guys, just throwing in different balls and getting as many touches as you can until you just, you know, maybe unconsciously, uh, memorize that touch without needing to worry about the technique, you know? Yeah. And it's all cognitive. Like it's all like, cause when you're getting that many touches and not many reps, your body's thinking, okay, I know in this situation, I've already done this a thousand times instead of talking about it, they've actually done it. Right. Mm. So it's like, you're going through that drill and you're like, Oh wow. Like you don't even have to think about it. And that's kind of another form of training or that that's an awesome form of training where your body's saying, muscle memory rise and cognitive wise or mentally you're thinking, Oh, this is, this guy's going here. So I need to put the ball here. It's not even a thought. It's just, right. it just happens. Yeah. It's always interesting because it's so hard. It's so hard to study those or, or put those in into statistics of which form of coaching is better or best. Like, can you coach an athlete without talking? The, if you read the inner game of tennis, uh, the guy who wrote that, he said some of my best coaching years and some of the best times I worked with an athlete was when I refused to talk. I would just demonstrate and then have him have him try to mimic or demonstrate in slow motion and then have him, uh, have the players try to mimic. And I think a lot of players, and we're going to get into this in a, in a little bit here, but I think a lot of coaches definitely end up talking way too much and uh, you know i've i've witnessed it i've probably been that guy at a few different points i, I, know. <laughs> I, I know i have i know i have <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so 
it's just, it's, it's trying to find that balance of repetition. You know, where do we need to rep uh, the whole versus part conversation? Like is a whole skill and a whole point are those different, you know, because when we talk about whole versus part, uh, there is some significant science behind the, the idea of progression drills where you break down one part of a technique and you only work on that, that you won't acutely, you'll feel better at that single part, but you won't develop the entire skill as fast as you would over time as if you trained the entire skill. So if we're just talking about, let's say like a, an approach for an arm swing, if you throw your arms back and you just only work on throwing your arms back and you just work on firing them, is that going to make you better at an approach if you don't take four steps, approach and jump? The science says no. The science says it won't because yeah. you have to incorporate that into the whole skill. And I'm a case study in that because I coaching in Sweden while I was playing pro, I realized that I was wasting my arm on like these 15 year old juniors. I was just hammering them all day. And I was like, my arm's gassed. So I said, I got to learn how to hit lefty. So at least I got some energy for, for my own matches. And I was, I ended up developing some pace lefty standing on the ground and I could hit consistently and accurate with my left arm and I could serve. I then, uh, I still ended up getting surgery on my right shoulder. So I was like, you know what? Fine let's play lefty, you know, let's, let's jump and hit. So when I would jump and hit after seven months of standing and hitting lefty, I, I, it was hopeless. Like I couldn't contact the ball. I was slapping at it. So this one like little case study of you're practicing a, a significant part of the drill, which is just an arm swing by being on the ground and swinging that yeah. made me no better in the air than, than day one would have been and i think people need to understand that and we're going to get into that here in a couple minutes but um that whole versus part and then in terms of skill does that carry over to a point you know if you're practicing passing and you're receiving it from over the net can you get better just by doing the pass or do you need to do the whole pass set hit every time in order to get better at scoring points and that's something that i don't think has been studied yeah, I think with the part and the, the skill, I think you have to learn like the majority like you were talking about first, and then you can always revisit and go back and fine tune things. Yeah. Um, but you can't just start fine tuning everything and then 20 years later be like, oh, I finally got it. Like, that's not going to be realistic. Um, you got to learn the broad, the broad skill, so to speak, or like, like you said, like, I got to be able to pass, but right after that, you got to be able to hit, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so like, you got to learn how to pass into hit. So that way you're, you're, you're focused or when you are passing, you're not just solely focused on your uh, approach or your, you know, whatever skills coming next, you can kind of glue them together. Um, I don't know if you need to do all like bump set and actually hit though. You mm. know, I don't know if, if you actually have to, if you're working on the footwork transitioning into your approach, I think that's a big thing. And then, um, and then hitting, I think would be separated after that um if we're getting into that kind of topic um yeah. you know and like gold medal squared right we the the whole it's that was in the coaching manual is uh what's what's the best way to learn passing pass set yep. hit 
what's the best way yeah. to learn setting pass set hit what's the best way to learn hitting pass set hit you know they they really wanted you to incorporate the full the full actions on your side of the net in order to improve in something i think there is there's definitely a ton of value in that but uh yeah what we do want to talk about now and we'll probably gonna we'll, we'll list them off i'll go for the first one and in the back of your head you just start coming up with some things that you've seen because uh, could you tell us a little just a few of this the schools that you've coached at and and what you're doing in terms of juniors right now yeah um i coached men's with california baptist university out of riverside um like i said we finished uh top five to in 2013 it was our first year going into um ncaa uh volleyball from naia uh, i think we swept ucla that year uh, we split with a bunch of teams, USC, all, all, all the MPSF, old school MPSF teams. Um, and then I also was at the University of Florida for two years under Mary Wise and Dave Booz, um, indoor uh, females. And um, that was a great experience, but learning. So they don't run a gold medal square system. And so I'm somewhere in between. Of, I played under gold, square, gold medal square, uh, coached, uh, led camps. And then I also learned from a different brilliant mind um at, at university of florida and so i kind of mesh and, and see a little bit of both i don't think there's any one way to do anything um so to speak so um yeah yeah that's that quote right from from bruce lee um uh, take take what's essential discard what's unimportant and then make it yours yeah yep. and it's I don't know if that's the exact quote, but Hayden said it uh, on a couple podcasts ago. And yeah. it's, I think it's important for everybody to evolve that, to take what works, especially what works for you. I think the problem is that people don't get a full look at what works for them. They get a perception of what they think is the problem or the solution. And that's uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But let's, let's start running down the list here of... Uh, okay how to waste your practices. So I was privy to a, a junior's practice that when it started off, I was like, yes, these people know what they're doing. I loved it. Uh, their warm-up was all volleyball moves, like lateral lunges. They did these Spider-Man lunges where they lunged forward and they laid out. So they're, they're like little girls getting push-up moves, deep lunges, and volleyball moves constantly. And then the first 10 minutes started off with them uh, basically jogging back and forth passing to themselves uh, and then setting to themselves and getting some one-handed touches. And I know that's not a whole skill, but in my mind, when I look at a practice, I say, what's the reps per minute? That is, that is the really one of the, the, the top key factors that I see as far as a successful practice. What is the reps per minute uh, of each athlete? And there's a very simple way for coaches to measure that. Once you start your drill, or even if you have somebody on the side, follow one athlete and follow your watch and see how many times they've touched a ball. And if you have lines, if you have waiting periods, if you have coaches who are either standing around doing nothing or, uh, or feeding way too much and you're counting and you're saying, huh, this one athlete's only getting one touch every two minutes by the end of the practice they're going to have 60 attempts in two hours 
Now for volleyball, like you, you can definitely maximize that. So this yeah, practice had yeah. started off with tons of passing to ourselves, setting to ourselves, sitting against the wall, you know, some arm swings against the wall. And I was like, this is great. This is going to be a tremendous practice. And then it quickly devolved into one coach who had three assistant coaches um, just kind of standing and talking, not really doing anything. And one coach who was feeding. So there was a line of players, which meant that somebody had to wait a little over two and a half minutes before her single touch. Hmm. When you had, you had more than enough balls, you had access to three other people who can, what adult can't do this, you know, like uh, punt a ball out of their hands. And so this one line scenario was, was wasting. I said, I could immediately get, 4x this practice in terms of effectiveness and skill because one of the things that we have in our camp coaching manual is you do not see one court and 12 players when you see that you need to see four courts or more and and four groups of three players as soon as you start chopping those down into small groups then you can 4x the amount of reps. So instead of for all those coaches out there, when you see a big group of players in one coach or one court, one net, no, no, no. That one net in indoor, that can be up to six courts, really. You know, you can divide it in thirds, but to be comfortable with space and everything, you can divide that and it can be four courts. Then you can divide those players and they can all do that. And what I didn't know at the time when I was playing in high school is that my high school coach was a master of this. The first thing we did every single practice was triangle and our reps per minute in the first 30 minutes of every single practice in our high school was through the roof compared to any other coaches. And that's a, a small private school that well, medium private school that went to state championships every single year. So if you're looking yeah. at reps per minute, get yourself out of lines, get your team out of lines, look at one player, count their reps in two minutes. If it's under one rep per minute, fix it, find a way, put them on a wall, uh, get them swinging at something, get, get them jumping. But to stand in line is an absolute waste of a player's time unless they're in a recovery from a max effort and they're in a gym. Like that's the only reason why I would say standing around is okay. So that's number one for me is reps per minute and how do you fix that what's your number one or, or pet peeve or, or things where you see coaches kind of miss kind of tags along with that it's, it's like if we break up into pieces just to quickly touch on that is like if we have one side let's say we have pin hitters on one side and uh middles on another usually I, the setter is going to get that middle but they're hitting different angles so like the the pins can hit down the line and then the the, the middles will be hitting 31s whatever they're going two sides going and then there's also defenders that are getting reps so you're basically breaking it down into fours four sides of the court where they're everyone's getting reps kind of like what you mentioned so you're saying Ooh. like instead of instead of people hitting from the antennas and just hitting into a high open court completely open court you can throw a defender down on that other side. They're getting defensive opportunities and looks and you force your players to hit line or you force them to hit diagonals. It's funny because on the court next to that, that one that I was just talking about, they had their mm -hmm. grown up girls who were crazy athletic and just banging, but it was yeah. the same thing. They had three lines of people each waiting for their turn with one setter hitting on a completely open court. Um, so 
I saw like missed opportunities at reps, like you're talking about. For sure. And you can always switch that up as like, you know, the outside starts hitting line. Okay. Well now they're going to hit angle. So the person sits an angle and then you just make a different middle call, maybe make a different middle set or anything like that. And you can do that with a big beach group as well. It's not just indoor. Uh, biggest pet peeve. I hate shagging, honestly. <laughs> so I like having one of the groups kind of make sure that there's something um, so it's continuous um, where we don't have to stop every seven, eight minutes. Uh, somebody's working hard throughout the throughout the drill, um, high intensity, and then they're getting a breather and that breather is an active rest or recovery uh, where they're shagging and, and making it a, a system where you're continuously going, you're not having to stop, you know, yeah. 10, 15, 20 times throughout practice. And that's, I think that's one of those like group things, you know, like group mindset, because that would almost go against what we just said with his reps per minute. But that dead time in between, that's going to cost you even more reps per minute, right? You have to collect balls all of a sudden, then no one's getting reps per minute. So if one of your groups can be collecting, making sure that they don't, and I would say for, but for any parents and coaches out there enlist your parents and your assistant coaches and say, Hey parents, would anyone like to just block the balls and make sure that they get back to here so that we can get the girls some more reps? hundred percent there's going to be at least one dad like i i know i would be in there saying like yeah i i completely understand this and i'll i'll shag balls and like you said before too there was three coaches that weren't that weren't doing anything so if that's the case then they can stand on the end line and make this a little easier and then you wouldn't have to have that would be the small group right and say okay throw that in but yeah all right so we're shagging we're talking about reps per minute i'm gonna jump into our coach manual here one thing that i think uh, coaches kind of ruin themselves on it might come from a lack of preparation or a generosity of knowledge but you have to focus on one thing if you give an athlete advice and you say hey our hitting is going to get better today right because you went home and you worked on the double arm lift with your approach so so we're ready to rock and that's your focus today great You've given that athlete one focus. And then as soon as you jump into the first like scrimmage drill, you comment of why he or she should have been on the line instead of into the diagonal. Uh, and you're, you're commenting now on her defense because she just lost that point. You as a coach have to focus your brain and your words in terms of your goal for one, the team, of course, and then two, the individual player. Because your individual player might have unique goals compared to your team, right? So you have to stop talking about everything for every reason. And it doesn't come from a point um, of you being a bad coach or being hard on players. It's, I have all of this information in here, and I want them all to know everything that I know. But that's not how how learning works. You, You have to focus on one chapter at a time and and lock that in and allow that player to work on it and to focus on it. And it's your job actually to focus their brain because if your brain is scattered, 100% your player's brains are going to be scattered, right? That's why like dogs act like their owners. It's very similar with players. Yeah. If you, if you got a scattered brain and you're thinking and talking about all these different things and then you get into the game, you say, why aren't we doing the thing that we worked on? You know, it's like, Oh, yeah, we have to get back to that because I thought you were mad at me for jumping on the line instead of diagonal. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. For, for me, it's it's focus, plan, and make sure that you give one goal per athlete, and that's where your words go when you talk to that athlete. Yeah, it's, it goes back to like your, your example of reading. If you skim through something, 
you're not going to retain all the information that you, I mean, you might see a couple things here and there, but you're going to have to go back and read it, which is going to be like practice. You're going to have to go back and practice that skill again and again and again, because it's not going to stick. It's just going to kind of be there like, hey, we did hitting today, but what'd you learn? Uh, well, um, I think I was digging and that, no, what'd you learn about hitting? <laughs> like, oh, uh, well, yeah, that's an issue. <laughs> um, so, yeah. One thing that we do at the camps is we always say to the players, okay, rate yourself on focus and rate yourself on performance. Did you focus on what you needed to focus on? And usually that's the first key, because if you don't have an eight, nine or 10 out of 10 in terms of, did you actually focus on it on what you're supposed to work on for this practice? They're like, shoot, no, I didn't. I started like thinking about defense and my positioning and like where my hands were instead of what my actual goal was. And so I, I you need to have that rating as a coach. Yep. Look at your players and, and say, did you focus? And that's also for, for the coaches, right? Like a head coach can look at all their assistant coaches, especially in a big D1 program, and say, hey, coaches, rate your level of focus on your feedback. Yep. And I mean, it, it is tough because as a coach, you're thinking, okay, I need to get all these things done. And our first match is a month from now or whatever. And mm -hmm. so you are kind of scattered. You're like, oh, my God. Like I'm thinking the beginning of the season, right? You're like, Okay, I got Sydney, this, blah, 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 go to Luhu, and we need to be able to do all this with them. And it's like, okay, that can be overwhelming if you try to do it all within that month. You got to realize it's a season and you got to realize it's a, you know, a year or whatever, however long your season is. And it's like, okay, slowly build up, enjoy the process, get there through a process. Don't just look at like, hey, I need her to hit 10 foot line. Okay. She's not hitting 10 foot line. Well, that, well, she's not digging it. What, what happened to 10 foot line? You keep going back and forth. You have more time than you think. And I think that's for younger coaches. You're going to, you, you see that you're like, okay, all that information's out, out, out. I did my job. And it's like, okay, well, you have all this time and now they're scattered when you could have just broken it down slower, take a deep breath. Okay, this is, we're going to work through it. And then not just teach them, but let them memorize it. Let their body memorize it. Let them kind of catch up to where you're at. That makes sense. Yeah, no, hundred percent. You just came from a juniors tournament, right? So, Correct. I'm sure that as as a coach, as a long term player, you get the opportunity to look at I don't know, maybe a hundred teams a year, and kind of in the back of your mind decide why the other coach is screwing up and how you're going to beat them, and kind of you know egotistically like how you're doing a better job than them. So, can you pick out anything that you see? specifically at tournaments that that coaches are doing too much or too little of you know maybe I'll you call specific oh i like I'll, this i'll call myself out <laughs> um i can get pretty passionate on the sidelines it's funny because i was watching so we are in the third set it's we had beaten this team before early in the year and now this is our fourth match of day one um to get into gold this is 18's nationals by the way jo's i see him kind of losing it or getting really upset and looking mm -hmm. over and i'm just kind of like okay and i'm quiet but he looks really mad i don't know why he was mad like he looked mad at me and so i was just kind of like all right i'm gonna play cool this time and sure enough our team slowly came back as he was getting a little upset or like mad and all that stuff and a little bit too fiery and and ticked off looking it was just the body language it wasn't even like he wasn't yelling too much it just looked like he was just angry with the world and I was like, you know what? Sometimes I might look like that. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I got to check myself. And so in that moment, I fixed it. I was just very calm and quiet, but I need to be able to do that a little bit more. Um, 
but your body language is a huge thing when you're coaching um, from the sidelines in the games. And it's hard, especially if you're, if you really do care and there's, there's a lot of passion there uh, for wanting to win, you just got to kind of take that deep breath and, and go back and, and realize what's important. And for them, the players on the court, it's like, all right, I look over my coach. If he's kind of looking like that, you got to kind of check yourself because then they're going to feel a little bit anxious or a little bit of anger or whatever, whatever energy you're giving off. Mm-hmm. You know, you remember the, I'm not sure if he's still the the head coach or not, but the Brazilian head coach, is it Resenji? Um, yeah, the Sutter's dad. Yeah. Dad? yeah, I think it's, I think it's Resenji is his last name, Res, like Resendi. Here's a guy who's just literally screaming every point, <laughs> jumping up and down on the sides of course, like super fiery and going nuts, uh, both happy and both mad and like, dude wears his heart on his sleeve a hundred percent and you look at something like that and you say like man this guy's how is he getting away with this like as a leader who is just up and down up and down yet still has top three team in the world every year where is that disconnect because i i was also trained on a similar thing like a leader should be calm like a straightforward nice and calm but you know a little bit inspirational but you can't lose yourself to your emotions and you also don't want your players to lose yourself to the emotions yeah i think i think it's it's totally he could get away with it just because of culture i think our culture is a lot different than brazil where they're you know a little bit more animated even playing like if you go watch their their players they're getting rambunctious like <laughs> throughout and it kind of it kind of matches i guess in a way and they understand each other um whereas we're, we're, if we're especially if we're dealing with youth you know we've got to carry this like i'm the general kind of like everything's okay feel and yeah. nothing phase nothing phases me our, our culture just wants to feel i think our girls and boys just kind of want to feel safe i would say when i'm coaching my girls they want to feel hey i feel comfortable and now because i'm comfortable i can play yeah they feel uncomfortable. It gets kind of like, okay, I don't know what to do now because I'm I'm worried about too many things. I think that's probably the most interesting point is that maybe the coaching style has to match the cultural style. Um, sure. You know, kind of like Russian, almost Eastern Bloc coaching and players at our camps where we're like, this is great, guys. We're having a good time. We're on vacation. <laughs> we literally have like the, the Russian, uh, <laughs> the Russians from Seattle who are like, you need to tell me how bad I'm sucking. I'm so tired of hearing everything good that I have. They're like, you need to tell me what's wrong so that I can fix it. And that's kind of their culture, like what's wrong. So they feel most natural in that environment. And then that's where they improve. I think us has definitely leaned towards safety and comfort. And so you can't make somebody feel bad because culturally that's what's happened in our country. I think as far as coaching style, that has to now match with the culture, you know, for better or for worse. And maybe the Brazilian where they, they love their emotions, you know, and they express them fully. Uh, I think that's also probably accepting the culture's accepting of that coaching leadership style. So maybe, maybe you're right. It is a hundred percent, a, a cultural thing. And you have to understand that. And if you do want to coach emotionally, then you're going to have to create that culture within your club and say, this is what we want. You know, this is, this is where we're at. So maybe that's the right direction there. And there are 
tons of different emotional leaders in every facet of the world and, and every genre. They're not all just this stoic, one emotion type person. But I think you got to figure out the culture that's going to make your girls comfortable or your guys comfortable. Yeah. And like research, just check out some some leadership videos on YouTube or, you know, different people, influencers, all that stuff. They kind of give you an idea of like what, what they've gone through. And they're like, all right, I could try this style or this doesn't work with the team or, okay, this is a little too harsh, but this didn't really get my point across. This was too fluffy. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of mess with it and, and find that balance. It's all about yeah. balance. Yeah. You know, we all just want to say like, listen, your passing sucks. So here's how you're going to fix it. But instead, you, you got to say, good job on uh, having your hands together early. Looks like your elbows were completely closed and your fist was hitting your face, you know, but we can fix that together. There's a lot of kind of softness. Yeah, there's that sandwich yeah. and it takes longer. But currently, at least uh, where our culture is at, I think you're right. We have to fix our coaching in order to do that, especially if we want to survive and thrive in a club world where we're going to have a new set of parents every year and where the entire culture is is telling everybody that we need to feel very safe and very comfortable and that it's not okay if somebody's unhappy which we can get into that in, a, in another episode but uh that's that's where we're at right now and i think coaches yeah. need to need to recognize that that their emotion their feeling their personality might not match with the rest of culture or the acceptance, you know, of, of a large contingent of parents. Yeah. Somebody's looking on Instagram for four hours a day and they're getting coached two hours a day. The culture that they see on Instagram is what they're going to think is right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. All right. Moving on. So we talked about making sure that people get what, get their focus and that they stay focused. Here's another one that I absolutely despise and it, it didn't start out like this because I thought it was valid. Explaining drills. At no level in my volleyball experience has a verbal explanation of a drill ever been faster than grabbing somebody by the shoulders, putting them in the position that they need to be in, uh, yeah. calling somebody out by name saying, Jessica, you're there. Sam, you're there. Frank, you're here. Frank, you passed to Jessica. Jessica, you set to Sam, Sam, catch it and give it to Frank. Do that demonstration, the full drill, do the demonstration while talking about it so people see it. For whatever reason, in most people's minds, the verbal explanation of a volleyball drill never makes sense. And if we're talking like our camps and clinics where sometimes somebody has never even been in a volleyball drill, you have no hope. You're going to waste half of your practice again talking like let's say you're coaching 10 or 12 year olds right you're gonna waste half of that that practice just talking about the drill and trying to get their rotations right and stop just show them and then insert them i think that through my experience that has been the fastest way so now i never explain a drill before i show it i either show yeah. it and explain it at the same time or i just show it Start with showing for sure, hundred percent. You sit there and you, you'll you'll waste five minutes, then you'll go, and then because you said something when you were explaining it and not when you were demonstrating it, then there's another question after that. So sometimes there's three or four minutes after you've already just demonstrated. So now you've done a a, a demonstration sandwich where you're mm -hmm. <laughs> verbal demonstrate verbal, and it's like uh, fifteen minutes doesn't sound like a good idea for you know practice if you have a two hour practice window like that is. You know, <laughs> not essential, not efficient. <laughs> and then you've, you've also explained three different positions usually, 
right? Yep, and so yep. now somebody has to think about what position am I in? Oh, wait, what were the instructions for that position? Where do I go after I'm in that position? And then they, they don't even know to, to go there. That's the struggle that we see. And, and we use a lot of names now where it's, you know, like I said, Chad, you're here, you're setting for the next two minutes. All you have to worry about is delivering perfect sets. Go, you know, um, instead of these complicated rotations. Rotations yeah. do not need to exist within drills. Do a drill for a minute, two minutes, five minutes, then put them into their next spots. No, this whole idea of automated rotations, I think it breaks practices completely. Yeah, I get the idea because like, you're getting a lot of different visuals or different um, reps from different spots, but I, I agree. I think it's you can focus slow. If you're going to say focus solely on a skill or one thing, then you should focus on one position or one part uh, space on the court, one place on the court. So that way you can focus on that. Hey, I'm digging to my right because I'm right side. Okay, great. Yeah. Boom. Here's my dig. Here's my dig. Here's my dig. Ball goes to my left. I dig it. I might not, but I'm focused on my right. Focus on my right. Um, it makes it a lot easier instead of going back from the right and then going over to the left and saying, well, now I can't focus, you know, I can't do it on my right. It doesn't make any sense. So if you're going to break down the skill or, or, or focus on one skill, I think it's the same idea as letting somebody get multiple reps in the same position or the same place on the court. Yeah. And if you think you got a mini line, like let's say one person's serving, one person's, uh, one person's passing, one person's setting, and you don't want to do the passer to setter to server. Like you don't want to do that rotation. Yeah, there's still going to be a, a rotation, but you could just rotate. Okay, you three are the passers. You're going yeah. to alternate passing for the next minute. Then they don't have to think about who shags, what ball, what about when a shank happens or the ball goes everywhere. It becomes a headache. And yeah. I think less rotation is going to make uh, the volleyball world a much better place. And that, I mean, if you look at like the classic servers versus passers, it's 10 balls, right? It's like, okay, you have three people, four people serving. You have mm -hmm. a setter if they want to get reps or a coach, you know, counting the pass, uh, how, how good the pass is. And then you have four passers and it's like, okay, the three are on, one comes on and you're just rotating, rotating, rotating. And you're on that same side though. After the 10 balls, after you do a little consequence, you do whatever you need to do. And then you switch, hey, Lucy, come over here and switch with this passer. Now she gets the reps. And she can go over there. The other person gets the rep serving, and they're consistently in that spot where it's quick, and they know the role. <laughs> right. So yeah. You got any more uh, in the top of your head? I got one right now. I think um, don't just say what, but like if you're gonna if you're gonna take time to explain something, don't don't say the like the what so much. Like, hey, I need you to jump higher, or give them a why, or, or give them a how, instead of just saying the obvious. You need to get lower on that ball. Like, well, yeah, the ball went, you know, it, it hit the ground. Yeah, I need to get lower. Okay, she knows that or he knows that. Like, it's not a an issue. It's like how or why, you know? How do I do that? Oh, well, take a big forward lunge step and get that, get a little bit lower to the ground. So that way when you get to the ground, you can collapse and be soft onto the ground instead of dropping from five feet up in the air. Um, and that'll make you want to do it more. Um, and then obviously keep it quick. But if you give them a quick why, a quick how, uh, that goes a long way instead of just saying jump higher, do better, uh, you're better than that, or I need more from you. Sometimes you, you can use that if it's, if it's a motivational thing, but um, especially in practices, like give them an explanation, give them, give them, give them what's going on. Yeah, I like that. Uh, that that kind of actually ties in with the one that I was thinking of is – if you need to explain 
one thing to one person, do not stop your entire practice to do so. Correct. Um, if you, if one person's making one mistake, there's, and this is the problem when coaches are controlling the feeding, right? If the only person who is controlling the feeding or initiating drills is the person who needs to be giving the most information, it's difficult on them to actually stop that practice. So there's two solutions there. Uh, number one, you do not stop a practice or stop your group from training and getting repetitions just to fix one person. You say, Tony, come on over here. You keep repping out the drills, keep feeding them, keep that drill going, but talk to this person and correct them while the drill is still living. Like mm -hmm. don't pause the entire drill. That's actually just two things right there. It's, it, you need to talk to that person individually, keep the drill going. And if you need to talk to them, just you can talk and knock balls at the exact same time. Right. Yeah. Um, if you have an assistant coach, if you're lucky enough to have an assistant coach, uh, yeah. Hey, Sarah, go take Tony and work on his arm swing on the other net. Boom. You know, and and then you just keep going. But there's there's really no need to stop everybody else from doing their job just to correct one person. Yeah. And 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 yeah. And if there is, if it is, let's say it's a eye sequencing, or it's like okay, you're playing, you're doing ball center, ball hitter. And it's like, okay, like all my outsides can learn from this. Then it's like, okay, keep it quick. But then that's more of a group where you're thinking, okay, all my pin hitters are going to say something or learn something. Then I can maybe say something as a, as a group. That way everybody is on the same page. Um, but if it's just that solo person's left hand not being able to seal the antenna, then you don't need to go around to everybody and say, Hey, go seal the antenna. Like, um, so I'm, I'm with that. And, and, and the top, um, to go back to the player uh, driven drills, that's huge. That is huge. Cause like, whether it's like a serve, whether it's a down ball, whether it's, you know, entering for other, like they get reps through that. Yes. You know, you're getting reps like that and you're able to coach. So you got the freedom and you know what? It might be ugly, a little ugly at first. Good. And that's one of those where like grow through it, grow through it. Yeah. You mm -hmm. need this. That's, that's growth. That's literally what growth is. Yeah. If you need a coach to, to make the drill pretty or make it work, uh, number one, then the coach is controlling that. And that's not the whole point of the practice. Like they're not going to be able to have the coach make it look good in the game. So you got to figure out that ugly part quick and just let them struggle, you yep. know, um, stay out of there. Don't change your feed. So that has to be perfect unless you just see confidence going completely through the floor. Right. Like, all right, yeah. find a way to, to gather them up and, and regain that confidence in your players. But you have to embrace and have that conversation. Like, no, it's, it's not, you're not going to look like Phil Dauhauser right now. We're going to get there. Trust me. We're going to get there and you're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to feel ugly. And in the process of feeling ugly and screwing up, that is where your body and your brain learn. Um, but if you need, if you need a coach to make it look good, then you need to get that coach out of there and say, okay, go ahead. Keep training ugly you know, until they can make it pretty, but don't say like, well, we can't even get the first pass. So how are we going to work on hitting? Guess what? 
you're going to need to pass in the game in order to get to that hit. So you got to start right there. So all these people who work on hitting and they're like, well, we can't even get a pass. Then stop working on hitting, dude. (laughs) Stop doing (laughs) what are you doing? You know, Um, that's man. I I see that a lot. I, I know my libero from, uh, George Mason, his name is Graham Shepard, a great liberal, but his, his high school always turned out the top, like another state champions. And he said that the first two weeks of their season, every season, they didn't spike a ball over the net. It was passing and setting, passing and setting. And this is a team that went to state championships every year. And it's cause I think like guys and people in general, they love the feeling of attempting to spike at full power. There's something like mm-hmm. addicting in the human body that like bringing all the force you have and jumping high. You think that that's where the glory is, but you don't realize that the only way to get there is through your pass and set. So I, that's, yep. that's gotta be a, probably a top five advice. If you can't get to the hitting phase, don't work on it. This of course works very different for us on like vacations, you know, cause yeah. we're not going to grind our players through the, three, four, five week or month process of learning how to pass before we introduce the concepts of sets of, of attacks. But that's why we have our journal. That's why we have them write everything down. And we say, listen, every skill that you guys learn at this camp is going to take you a few months to, to really, really hit top notch to get your 80% out of it. So your job here is to write everything down. And then go and take a month or take two months to work on the one thing that you wrote down. And only then can you move on to the next. Even though we go through every skill in one week, we're going to cover all of that. And the goal is to get that all written down, get yourself introduced, get one feeling of it, and then go back home and work on what you need to work on. Yep, 100%. One thing I think you mentioned before was like building confidence a little bit back there. And I think that's, if we're going to another topic right now, one of the things for coaches is like when to press for growth and struggle and when to press for the confidence or like ready to perform. So at Florida, the day before or the day of, you know, I'm going to serve and pass. I might be taking a little bit off the serve, maybe adding a little bit of topspin so it's not floating as much or moving as much. Mm. My first time, my first time, it was not very good. They're like, don't serve so hard. I was like, all right. And then, <laughs> it's just abusing them. <laughs> drop, 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 drop. And I was like, okay, so that's not what they're talking about. <laughs> Uh, but then finding rhythm in that. And it's like, you got to you gotta do, I guess, what works for the team, not always you because you're not the ones playing. So you got to figure out what's going to work for your team and say, hey, is it the whole week? Am I building the confidence? And did we play great on Saturday or this weekend? Or is it just that last practice? Like we practice Tuesday, Thursday, and then play on a Saturday, let's say. Okay, do I need the whole week for this to start revving them up and start getting them in rhythm confidence-wise? Or is it, can I still give them a little push or a little struggle on Tuesday um, and then maybe start to build that confidence on Thursday? Um, but you definitely need to play with that line. And, and the preseason's the preseason, you, that's that's the struggle time. That's the time to go after it. Uh, but once you're in season, you gotta, you gotta find that balance of, and, 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 and that time frame of, when am I gonna gather this team together? And when are they gonna be on the same page in the right direction, going the right direction before they play. Hmm. I like that. I really like that because 
that is, you know, you, you take a look at like the, the Roman armies when when the Roman Empire was going, and these guys were fighting battles weekly. I mean, their their army was so good and so um, so dominant because they were fighting the most. They had so much war and fight experience that you could have taken any one of their like privates and they could have been a general on, on any other, <laughs> on any other army yeah. just because of experiences. And you, you want to think like, well, the harder we push, no matter what, this is going to, this is going to make you better, but this is a, it's also a game. It's yep. a sport. So you have to find those little opportunities to give somebody the confidence that they can succeed in that you know rome had a winning streak <laughs> so they kept winning battles and they knew they were a part of an army that was doing non-stop winning right yep. yep so that can can be a part of what builds your confidence and i think you're right in don't just crush your players and say you're not getting this you're not getting this you're not getting this because as soon as you do that your army feels like a beaten dog you're just down yeah in the dumps and you want to you, then you ask them to show up with energy for their match like, yeah like you just told us or we felt <laughs> you caused like how bad we said like every goal you set we couldn't come close to achieving so we don't know what winning is like so yeah. i think what what i would like tag on to what you said is let's set goals that are achievable yeah. you know, for, for your players. And if you say, Hey, we need to pass 10 perfect free balls in a row and you're coaching a couple eight year olds and it doesn't happen in 45 minutes. You, then you say, Hey, our season goal is 10 perfect free ball passes in a row. But for this one, it's three, you know, pick something that they're going to get to that they're going to struggle, but make sure that it happens. And, and that, that goal setting, setting at the right level for your team is important. And if you choose the wrong goal, step back and redo the goal. Mm -hmm. That's it. You know, um, there will be still a sense of achievement. Sometimes we felt that like in the gym or on the court where a goal was set and we didn't reach it. And then maybe it was lowered and then you reach that. And that was kind of a consolation prize, but at least yeah. you got through it. You know, yeah. you still said like, Hey, okay, we did this. And then you keep that first goal somewhere written down. And be like, yeah. this is, you know, write that down high in the gym, high in the net, in your, in your player journal. And say, this is where we're going to get. Okay, we're not here yet, but this is where we're going to get. And these are the increments that we're going to do it in. And then you just do little five in a row increments. Yeah. Boom, 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 until you get there. Um, but I, I've definitely felt that. I did that with my team in Sweden where we wanted to do plus 100 where you dig, set, jump, and hit over the net 100 times in a row. Because I knew yeah. the U.S. national team was doing that. I was like, yeah. that should be our goal. You know, we, we got to like 12. <laughs> but by the end, by uh, like middle of the season, we got to 50 in a row, which should have been a win, but I was too much of a hard nose as a coach then to, yeah. to treat it as a win. You know, I, I kind of wrecked confidence as well. For sure. And it's like with exchange, I, used, I usually start with exchange. Um, it's over the net pepper for those of you, if you're wondering what exchange is um cooperative and usually that's one of the very first drills we do for season and preseason learn how to talk learn how to say each other's name mind in the name uh it's more about a team like connection with that drill mm -hmm. um because like once you're once you're calling and making plays and doing stuff the ball just stays up 
But if you're quiet and you're this and you're that, you're not going for it, nobody really wants to play the ball. But the very first thing I'm like, uh, let's go for 50. And I got like in my head and I'm like, um, it's preseason. Maybe I'm <laughs> like, well, my 12s can do <laughs> My 12s have gotten 40, so you guys can get 60, right? <laughs> but you got to be realistic for sure. Uh, yeah. Especially with people coming together for the first time or if they're uh, high schools or if they're different, coming from different areas, let them get to know each other and have more focus on getting to know each other or uh, building connection than, than actually having to hit 75 because your other previous team hit 75, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would say, uh, you know, the takeaway from that is when you're setting a goal for your team, start at the lowest possible goal you can consider. Yeah. And then, you know, go tiny piece by tiny piece forward because there's that sense of accomplishment. Uh, it builds that confidence and then you're building it and you never get to the phase where it's like, man, I set that goal too high. Now they know I'm giving them a consolation goal and they know that they, or they feel that they're not where I want them to be. You know, they definitely feel that and they lose that confidence. So if you are setting goals, start at two coaches (laughs) and then boost, boost it from there, you know, just, just double that. That's all. And then they'll find, like, that, they'll find that middle ground, two, then four, then eight, then 16, 32. That's a very valid goal-setting rhythm. Yeah. yeah. It's like adult life, right? Like, set your promises low, like under <laughs> under promise and over-deliver. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally, it makes you feel – if you say, hey, you need to get five today, they get 25, they're going home, and they're throwing a party. Like, they are they are thrilled. Mm-hmm. And it's just – it's the best – it's the best uh, – which mom? best way to do that because if you say 25 and they only get five now they're reconsidering playing volleyball ever again and they're like well i'm no good at this sport and i don't really want to grow because well i'm not good at it it's like oh you're okay it's a team drill but you know that's what they're thinking they're thinking that so i agree start low i like that yeah and then i like you know if, if you got one of those like pie in the sky goals i like putting that on the wall of the gym and then doing a little coach wager like I'll shave my head if you guys reach X by the end of the season. You know, th- those are always fun for kids and like little. So I'll I'll jump in the lake if you guys do uh, yeah you know, a hundred in a row by end of the season. That way they know their yeah. grand goal and they have a big like seemingly impossible goal, but maybe it, it's written up there. So maybe and then you just you just push their daily goals little by little. I think that's a great for way to sure. do it. Hundred percent. That's awesome. Nice. Um, gotta have a whiteboard, by the way. Gotta have a whiteboard. I love that's nice to have stuff to write down (laughs) and giving the players their journals, you know, so that they can track their own journey, so they can remind themselves. Um, especially one thing we do over tipping, yeah. Yeah. One thing I we we do too, um, is we do like a player, like kind of your player journal, but we do player check ins throughout practice, and so you have like a a scale. I know you like scales one to ten, so Mm -hmm. we do scales like one to five. Hey. We have an individual goal and we have a, like volleyball goal for the person. We have a team goal for the person. And then you have an individual character trait. And it's like, okay, like, what do you, okay, what is your focus on for volleyball? What was our team goal? You know, and, and you go back and you kind of write down how you're feeling one to five and then any other notes um, throughout practice. So you'll have like, I think it's three check-ins, a little different when I have longer practices, but it's three check-ins. You know, you start at the beginning of the day, hey, I didn't eat lunch today. My mind's kind of scattered. Um, I don't really know, you know, a one with my focus on hitting. 
uh, down the line. And then they can kind of go back and review it and say, oh, you know what? I probably need to eat some lunch because every time I had lunch, I had a four or five and I was able to focus. And now I'm learning my body or they're learning their body. Um, and all that data is awesome. So uh, yeah, just a quick little idea. Yeah. Every coach should have, you know, notebooks or at the very least a notes section in a phone for their players. I highly against for junior, well, for anybody, I highly uh, recommend going away from phones because as soon as they open the note section, a notification is going to come on their phone and they're going to think yep. about who's liking their nonsense and who's following them and who said what, and like what email came in from work. Yep. I, more I live, the more I want to move away from. <laughs> yeah, we we use binders, so same idea. We use binder. We make let them let them kind of decorate or, or or customize how they want the front, as long as it says the same word, the team the team word for the year. Yeah. And it's like okay, like that that has a sense of community and and pride, but then it's also custom, uh, so it's personal. And then inside that is you know our our rule book, our handbook, uh, play calls. Um, all the activities, all the character trade activities that we do throughout the weeks. Um, like and that. then all the journal, all the journaling. So I don't think coaches do enough character like training either. I think we focus on volleyball um, a lot. And I think touching the character side, hey, accountability, hey, um, honesty, like these things, like we all think like they, they learn these words and it's kind of like a cliche dic dictionary. But how does that apply in a drill when you're saying, hey, I hit uh, my target of eight? Like, is that being honest? Like, and like training that and it's showing them videos and showing them a path or showing them examples, um, I think it can go a really long way uh, with coaching instead of just focusing on X's and O's every single time. I think you start to learn them um, and, and develop a, a trust or a different level of of insight with your players when you're focused on the actual human as well. So uh, I could not agree more with that. I had a coach who just moved on from a very prestigious position um, and another school picked him up. He was hired for his ability to change and create culture. Mm -hmm. Wasn't given the opportunity to do that. Um, and everything about this man is culture. Like, mm -hmm. How do you motivate? How do you keep people motivated? How do you keep them accountable? He's the guy that will text you about how much he's squatting just to make sure that you're squatting. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, he'll, he'll send those like videos uh, to the friends, not to say, look how much I'm squatting. He's sending them to say, did you get your squats in today? You know, he's, yeah. he's that type of guy. And people think that culture is just something that you talk about or that it's there. And you, and this is something else that we talk about at our clinics a lot. You have to create actively piece by piece, build your environment and your culture. Yep. And it, it comes through actions. It comes through rewards that are just as strong from the cultural side of it um, as they are from the physical performance side of it. You know, did yep. you show up? Did you bring the team something today? When everybody was cleaning, were you the first one to step up and start cleaning along with the team? You know, there has to be, if you have a stat board, in your gym, weight room, beach court, whatever. If you have a stat board, you damn well better have a person board, you know, that, that shows yeah. 
you know, number of times that this person uh, cleaned up their weights, picked up weights, picked up somebody else's weights, uh, fixed a squat rack where the weights were out of order so that it's easier for somebody else. And people don't stat that. And that's what really counts in terms of long-term winning and enjoyment. If you don't create that culture, you're going to be a miserable coach. Your players are going to be miserable. Then that's going to create miserable parents and and a culture around you. Like there has to be an active hand in building that the people, especially if you call yourself a coach, you're a leader. That's your position. So it's time to lead the world. Yeah, I agree, man. Like I said, we, we, we have one a week that you're focused on and that gives them the soul like one so it's not like hey here's 15 things you need to work on but it's mm. like honesty is one so all week they're talking about honesty or all week they were watching the reviews and all that stuff so it's pretty cool though i, I agree i think i think building character man because oh if God. you build that character then then you're going to have a machine to let, that's going to be flowing you're going to have a machine that's going to be um well oiled you know you, you don't you got the little kinks you got a, a bolt missing here you got this that it's you know whatever it needs so yeah all right, if you are here live, this is our Q&A session for live people, and let's get it rocking. So I will cool. start from the top. Diana Marquez says, hello. What's up, Diana? Good to see you back. Mark Goodkin, can the girls take turns standing on the other side of the court and shag balls? Yeah, I think we went over that where, you know, Yes, they can take turns shagging, and they should if that's your only hope. Uh, if you've got a giant gym and you can swing the 80 150 bucks and get a net that self-shags so you don't have to constantly like run around a 100-yard gym to, to shag, you're going to save yourself some time. So find systems, find methods that allow you to keep the balls close or they somehow get recycled, whether it's by a, a, a digger um, or like we said, a parent who can wall, who can get there. A wall is nice. Yeah. Aiming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, you're, if you're on the beach and you want to do hitting practice, learn to hit into the wind so that you don't have to chase the ball 80 yards. I mean, I think most of us kind of do that naturally once you realize that the first one's going half a mile down the beach. But uh a little net setup is really good and then yes a shagging system where one group is shagging for three minutes and that's that's something that we've we've moved towards completely is you don't just like hit once and and then you rotate you guys you're shagging for the next three minutes you guys you're hitting for the next three minutes you guys are setting for the next three minutes i will rotate you as the coach i want more more coaches i want them to get away from reps because when you say, hey, everybody pass to yourself 15 times or 20 times, uh, players end up doing the reps and then sitting there and holding it because that's the assignment that you gave them so they don't expect that they have to do more. Yeah. But nobody can keep track of time in their own head. So yeah. if you keep saying, all right, 30 more seconds, and I'm notorious for one more minute that ends up becoming five more minutes, you know? Yeah, but yeah. people are, oh, yeah. no one stops. They just keep repping and that's what you want. So my biggest recommendation for coaching is always have a watch and do do drills for time so that you can control it how you want to control it or if you're somebody who like really wants to get through and you're a big time planner then you can get through absolutely everything you really wanted to get through and then that becomes measurable too so yeah um so yeah that's mine for that 
Uh, Mark Goodkin, has coaching style, I'll let you answer this one, Chad. Has coaching style changed over time? One criticism is that our kids have become too coddled and that parents and teachers need to be softer, quote unquote, with them. So do you think our coaching style uh, in the U.S. or in the world has changed over time? I think over over time, 100%. Like, you can't say that in the 60s or 70s, 80s, that that was different. I mean, look at some of those players and coaches. Um, and it's just like, if you go back to vintage videos, it's like all fire, like all passion, like, what are you doing? Like, that kind of stuff. I understand the, the, the choice of words saying softer. I think it's, I don't know if it's softer is a good word, though. I think it's maybe it's more detailed. You're trying to figure out the details. And there's a different path right now to getting to reach your player. And it like, like we like we talked about earlier, it's, you know, making them feel comfortable. If you make them feel comfortable, and you yell, they're still going to be okay. Like, that's not the issue. I, that's a great I, point. Yeah. Yelling does not equal discomfort. Exactly. That's a great I have, point. I have three, let's say I have three people on my team and they're really close to me or they feel safe with me. And some, some other three don't. And if I yell all the same, three are going to be happy or normal and three are going to feel not so normal. <laughs> um, so just building that trust, man. Um, and that goes a long way. Yeah, like, I, uh, softer stuff. You know Ray Ray at camps. Like he knows yeah. he knows when I'm tough on him. That yeah. like he knows that I'm smiling on the inside and that I'm and I'm rooting for him. If somebody yeah. doesn't know that you're rooting for for them yet, and then you start like yelling right away, that's a it's a tough way to start. You know, people need to trust that you are on their side, and that you're working to get them there. And that requires some extra talking. You know, I think like Miracle on Ice, the the USA hockey team, mm-hmm. that guy hammered his team. <laughs> yeah. But once they realized that they bonded together and then he had their back and, you know, there's a few cases in that movie where he showed that he had their back. He didn't actively show it to them, but they discovered it. Then they're like, oh, he, he really wants this for us. You know, it's, it's not for him. And that's, that's a big point. And I think your point to yelling does not equal bad. Yelling does not equal discomfort. It's helping people to explain where you are and what, what comfortable is for your team, for your team culture and for your style. And what you are comfortable with as a coach might not be what every player on your team is comfortable with. And a great coach discovers that for mm-hmm. each person that they're leading. You know, you yep. got to figure Attentive that out and every now and then test it, yep. you know, and if you step too far in the wrong direction, have the conversation. Don't just say, Oh, that was a bad step. Go to that person, you know, be the bigger leader and say, Hey, I, I was tough on you because of this, but uh, if you don't like when I yell at you or you don't like that, I have an increased tone of voice, you know, let's, let's find another way. How do you best accept criticism? Or how do you hey, want me to help you? And now that we're talking here, it, the, with that, it's like, make sure you do it individually. Because as, as a group, a lot of people will not say what's going on. If you take your time, number one, they, they appreciate you allowing it to be under the radar, so to speak, but coming to them personally. Instead of, if I go up to the whole group of 12, 12 athletes and say, hey, what's everybody's feeling? Everybody will be quiet. Hey, what do we need to change? Everyone's quiet. I go up and I in a water break and I say, hey, you know, you know, what, what do you think is going on? Like, what? 
oh, you know, I think uh, blah, 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 she's worried about this or he's worried about that. Like, there's going to be a conversation there and they're going to have a little bit more trust because you're coming to them and they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or they don't want to uh, say something wrong in front of the group. So definitely break it down individually. Yeah, there was, even on our college team, some of us wanted our coach to be harder. Some of us like wanted softer and there will be divisions in your team. Yeah. Not every athlete understands how they, and that's why the morning talks, as soon as you enter the gym, before you enter the gym, having the conversations with individuals, checking in and saying, how are you doing today? And you cannot stop as a coach at how are you doing? You need to say, hey, uh, how's that knee? I know it was bugging you. How did that test go? I know you were going through that transition, whether you're going to be promoted or not. How's that going? That gives you insight into how you can treat them that day and how you can maximize their performance. And right? that you care. Yeah, and that you care. You, you got to look at it like it's a, you know, like a, I, I don't know, like it's a pan or something. Like it, you can you can touch a hot pan differently than you can touch a cold pan. I know that's a terrible metaphor, but it, you have to measure their temperature and you have to know what's going on so that you know how to handle them. So maybe it is a pretty good metaphor. <laughs> it's a, really, a really good metaphor, actually. <laughs> yeah, so the check-ins before practice, got to do it. Got to do it. All right, uh, the next one from uh, Coach Selena McBride. She says, agreed that our culture requires us now to sandwich our point to our players. No other comment. Uh, Mark also asks, what do you think about a coach who has a group of 20 people? dividing them into two to three groups for drills based on their skill levels. You know, a coach selecting who belongs where, that does create a lot of tension. But yeah. people have to understand where they stand. And, I, and, and guys and girls work very, very differently. And I'm going by the psychology and, and the psychologists that I've learned from and the coaches that I've learned from. So girls and guys are different for, for girls. If you have them compete often and you have them try to tear each other down a lot of times for the general average team, that doesn't work great. When you set a, a nonstop competitive environment, one of the things that USA volleyball teaches is uh, women need to bond to battle. So they need to bond with each other and know that they have each other's backs and have their talks and connect with each other emotionally before they're going to battle with and for each other. They need to know that they have that support. Guys, in a lot of situations, the average typical, you know, statistic guy doesn't kind of have respect for somebody's care or for somebody next to them until they've had it out and until they've sorted out their position with each other. So that the, the language is guys need to battle to bond. Like we have to have been through a war with each other before we respect each other in, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. And maybe that's against evolution. Maybe we're a completely devolved species, but you see it all the time in movies and TV, like two guys knock each other out and then they sit down and they have a beer with each other. <laughs> yeah. You know, they have to see, guys need to see that respect of hard work of you're going to outwork me. You're going to perform against me. You're going to hold me accountable. Uh, and then we kind of develop a little bit more closeness and that's that's how we have to go through it. we have to go through a war with each other so to divide groups in certain ways or to have like a, a team of of girls pick each other's teams that i don't think would go over as well as having guys pick teams 
You know, I know that I got picked last in college. My first year I got picked last in college. And I was like, what? You all think that Gramit is better than me? (laughs) And he was like first pick and I was last pick. And I couldn't believe it because I was comparing myself to him. And they all showed me with their picks, like where I stood. And to me, I took that as, all right, that's the gauntlet. I'm going to get picked before Gramit by, you know, by the middle of this year. But I didn't hold on to that as, man, Hudson picked him. Now I hate Hudson. That has a tendency to happen uh, in in a group of, of female players where there might be one pick or one side of it. And you say, like, there's something that's held on to more emotionally in that time. Yeah. So I don't think that you got to be careful with that group selection. And there has to be a lot more talking that, that goes into it. And you have to figure that out first. Yeah. I know I didn't say that right or completely and, and fully educated on the situation, but uh, that's from, from the schools that I've learned from. That's how you have to approach it with care and with tact. For Todd, how did I meet Chad? Todd, how did we meet? Was it gold medal? Um, yeah, because you graduated George Mason a year before Brandon, right? Or two years? Yeah, maybe two. And... I played Brandon his senior year mm. from Leeds McRae, two gold and yellow schools. We did lose in three, but I had 21 kills in three sets. So it was a good outing. <laughs> Funny story. And then we fi- we finally met at, at uh, Open Nationals at okay. yep. Louis- Louisville. Nice. I wanted to go to George Mason, by the way. You should have. I was trying to. So I didn't really know. So I, I started late with volleyball. I was like 17. And then I went to Lee's McRae freshman year, sophomore year, and I was going to transfer because I started getting decent. I lost a lot of weight and, and started playing well. And um, I just emailed the head coach and I was like, oh, you know, like, what well, do you, you think you take me on? Blah, blah. Not knowing that I couldn't do that. Like, I, I had to get a release and oh, I had to yeah. get all this. <laughs> so I like, didn't hear it back. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm staying at Lee's McRae. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted so bad to go to George Mason. Don't feel bad. It took me something like six emails to get a response uh, from him. <laughs> and then I transferred in like August. So, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Chantel says, I tend to struggle. Hi, Chantel. Chantel from camp. Um, I tend to struggle with measurement in our sport. What tools do you guys use and recommend to measure our skill level increase or decrease outside of the score? And that looks better from our coach. You've been through this. Check out the better at beach levels. So if you guys are, are at home and you're wondering kind of where you stand skillfully, check out betteratbeach.com forward slash level two test. Level the number two test. That will give you a written and a physical a video performance evaluation that you can take yourself through. Uh, once you pass that, um, or if you fail it, the system will move you on to level three tests and level four tests and level five tests. So we have these videos up for you. We have the knowledge test up for you. So I recommend that all of you try it out. See if you can answer all the volleyball questions correctly and see if you can do the skills on the videos that we put our camp players through so that you can assess your own level. Okay. Better at beach.com forward slash level the number two test level two test. Uh, and that will be a great start to knowing where you stand uh, as far as goals, skills, performance, etc. Okay. Uh, Neil Lyons says that Chad is the man. Love you, Neil. Love you, Neil. (laughs) (laughs) That's Neil from camp. 
as well. My guy. All these campers hanging out with us. Yeah. He's a, he's a good dude. Just started volleyball recently. And man, he came a long way. Ooh, he came a long way between his first camp and his, his second camp. I was going to say, he had two camps, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, coach Selena Bride, a, as a coach, building the connection through interpersonal communication one-on-one will be life-changing for our athletes, and they will carry that forward. 100% agree with you, Coach Selena McBride. That's um, 100%. The one-on-one is what counts, not you standing in front of a group, but you talking to somebody one-on-one with no one else around. Uh, that's where you can develop uh, that bond. You have to be careful with it now as juniors, collegiate, high school, about what one-on-one means or the optics or the visuals with it. But the one-on-one conversations will will hold so much meaning. Go ahead, Chad. You said something. I was just going to say, what's going to be funny too, is especially for me, if, if we've got juniors, sometimes they don't want to talk, right? It, it, it is hilarious. Or I should say hilarious. It is actually really cool. <laughs> That's a better phrase. Um, to when you start talking individually and mm. then you start seeing them have become like uh, it, like they come into their own voice in front of the group because you did that so at first a lot of people are very quiet and timid in that and all of a sudden you start talking to them individually and you walk them through this process they start building that confidence but then they're able to do that in front of the group mm. you know what i'm saying it's really cool right like it's okay to express yourself here it's okay to, to be who you who you want to be Beginning of the year, it, it's always like that. It's like nobody will talk, nobody will do anything. They're worried about this, that, that, that. And then before you know it, they're like, "Hey, you know, they, you talk to them individually, and they build that their confidence on their own." Yeah. And then they start getting a little bit more active with with expressing things, and then people get further, and then there's better connections, and it goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. We we conquer that at camps, clinics, and our classes by making sure that everybody knows each other's names. That's the fir- that's the first step. So if you guys are somebody who runs like local classes, local camps, I know it sounds to me it seemed childish in the beginning, uh, but everybody learning everybody's names, however you have to do it, either by switching partners quickly or by doing the whole circle thing with a you know in an, an, a superlative and then your name or an adjective and then your name, um, that will at least allow people to talk to each other because instead of looking across the court and going, they kind of point, they get shy because they forgot a name and then they don't say anything. And then nobody says anything. The energy of that practice will be completely different than if somebody, and then if everybody knows everybody's names. So as a coach for groups, adults, people who are just coming together, if you run camps or clinics, your number one priority should be getting everybody to know each other's names. And it sounds crazy, but trust me, the rest of your day will be much better as soon as that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chad, uh, Todd said that you will break forearms if you play him in reverse co-ed. <laughs> you might. Awesome. Uh, Rick, yeah, watch out for the wrist away. Rick, <laughs> Rick says, I like this quote. Uh, Girls need to feel good about themselves to play well. Guys need to play well in order to feel good. Kind of. Yep, sometimes. Same, same line. Yeah. Same line. Yeah. Yeah. Similar. Um, I, I know that there have been times when I have not been playing well. And I said, man, something about my skill just isn't here. How do I two X the people around me? So I was like, I'm playing like crap and I know I can't get this done, but you know who can the guy next to me, the other five guys around me. So I'm just going to make them feel like odds and just keep the energy up and do that. I literally, I, I think 
um, pat my own back, but I think I changed the course of an entire match at nationals without touching a ball, you yep. know, just by saying, dude, let me get in there. Uh, I'll play defensive specialist, like put me as a barrel. Um, I don't need to pass or anything, but like, I'll, I'll get these guys going. And that emotional switch, boom, it like woke everybody up, give them a little bit of confidence. And I was there. So, um, you can mm -hmm. change the game without skills. Uh, Chantel said that she was looking for the intangibles beyond structured reps. Chantel, still don't still don't know what you're asking for in terms of measuring skill level increase or decrease outside the score. Intangible and, measurables. Uh, Chantel, maybe we should have a conversation uh, in the in the mastery group so we can figure it out and uh, we can have a talk with Joe and, and Chad as well. But I'd love to answer that for you privately. So just send us a message by what you mean. All right. All right, Chad, thanks for jumping yeah. on, man. This is a long one, longer than we've ever done. <laughs> That's all right. We're going to turn into Joe Rogan. One day, it's coming. Guys, make sure that you follow Chad at, I'm going to pop his uh, Instagram up here, Chatty Daddy. Um, we spell it C-H underscore A-D-D-Y, Daddy, D-A-D-D-Y, C-H underscore Addy Daddy. Uh, it's Chad Mercado. He's on Instagram. He's also got a company coming up in Florida called Take Off, where he will be training uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, volleyball players, indoor volleyball players. And uh, that's happening in Florida. Is there anything you want to mention about that? Should anybody uh, follow Take Off? Yeah, Take Off Training Academy. It's, uh, Instagram is uh, Tota, T-O-T-A-F-L, Tota, Florida um it'll pop up but uh we do some tips and tricks um and on court uh, inside the gym as well as uh try to promote some of our athletes uh to get ready to get recruited it's all crowd college prep so uh getting high school kids ready to go giving them the knowledge the skills and the uh resources to uh step on from senior year in high school step on to college court and be ready to play and ready to start nice love it good luck with that can't wait to help out and Thanks. see where it goes um, and, uh, Chad's also joined us part-time as, uh, as a better at beach kind of 1099 slash employee and, uh, looking forward to getting everything we can get out of him, motivational guy and, um, just a great dude. So when you guys see him in our, in our Facebook group and on our YouTube and on our, uh, channels, you know where it's coming from. Uh, if you guys are still here, uh, for this coaching lesson. If you're looking for beach volleyball practice plans, we have 53 beach volleyball practice plans set up uh, a complete two hour, completely laid out for you. Uh, you can check that out at betterbeach.com forward slash practice plans. They are written, they are timed, they are separated by skill, whatever you want to work on. And we have video recordings of the drills so that you cannot get confused. So if you want to take all of the work out of practice planning and preparing for a practice, we have it set up for you, uh, betteratbeach.com forward slash practice plans. You want to work on passing, open the first pra passing practice plans, just follow the videos and you are set. All you have to do is coach your players. We're taking the pain out of practice planning. And currently, right now, you guys are here live. Uh, our setting course is getting going. We already have people who are posting their uh 
they're setting testing. So basically we do pre-testing where people record their hand rhythm and their bump rhythm for beach volleyball setting. And uh, we do before and after videos and we take them through basically a 30 day course and we give you the drills that you need to do every single day. We give you the tutorials for how, where, and what to set. And we give you video feedback in the Facebook group. So as soon as you post your videos to our private members only Facebook group, uh, you're going to get coached by professional athletes, national champions, national team coaches. Uh, we really invite you to that. Currently, it is only $39 a month. You get every course that we have included with that. The group is currently working as a group on setting, but if you want to dive in and work on attacking or work on passing, uh, you can go ahead and do that. It's all under the same membership along with, of course, our 60-day max vertical jump workout program, which flat out gets results. Uh, if you want to add inches to your vertical, uh, you can check that out. But all of those you can get uh, at betteratbeach.com forward slash coaching. Right now we're going through the setting. So if you want to perfect your setting before this season starts, go grab it, betteratbeach.com forward slash coaching. Um, and if you guys ever have any questions about the courses, offerings, the coaching that we do, you can go ahead and you shoot us a message. We'll be happy to hear from you. Um, and you'll be seeing a lot of posts on our Facebook group and on our Instagram about the setting course coming up. So it is never too late to join. Uh, and we would love to work with you and see uh, what you can do and how far your game can get. All right. So, Chad. <laughs> see you on the sand, brother. Let's get better. Uh -huh.